You know, it was a wilderness like this where John the Baptist came onto the pages of biblical history, preaching, calling the fire down, calling out sin and leading people to repentance and baptizing them in the waters of that wilderness. His name was John the Baptist. And for the past several weeks, we've been learning about him, learning about his life. Today, we will bring his story to a conclusion as we continue the John the Baptist series, Making a Way for the Messiah. Hi, my name's Chris Bell. I'm the lead pastor of Three Circle Church, and I'm really glad to be with you today. Whether you're joining us on a back porch, in your kitchen, in your living room, or maybe you're on vacation right now and you still found a way uh, to tune in and be with us today, thank you for joining us for this final installment of our John the Baptist series. We've been looking at this interesting, some would say strange guy from the Bible, but what we found out over the past four or five weeks is that John the Baptist has so much to say to us. You know, the scriptures tell us that all of the Bible, every verse, every word, every line and paragraph is there to help us. It's there to help us grow. It's there to help us follow God more completely, to know him more accurately, and ultimately to love him more dearly. That's what the scriptures are all about. And that includes the story of John the Baptist. So we've learned so much over the past few weeks about him, about his messages, his preaching, about his worshiping of Jesus. But today we're going to bring it to the end. We're going to look at the end of his life and just how much he has to say to us in the way he not only started, but also ended with his ministry. Let's go to the Bible and what we're going to see is something pretty amazing. Go to John chapter 3, verses 25 through 30. It says this, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, they're talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So his disciples had a problem with the fact that people weren't coming to John the Baptist anymore. They were all going to Jesus. And John answered, here's how he handled that. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And here is a famous and powerful statement from John the Baptist, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, what we just read right there are seven of the hardest words to say in the world. Seven hard words for you and I to say, 
But John the Baptist made it seem so easy, and I think it's because his heart was in the right place. He was able to joyfully say, not begrudgingly, but he was able to joyfully say, he must increase and I must decrease. Powerful, powerful words. Why are they so hard? Well, what's happening here for John the Baptist is the voice of the one in the wilderness, John the Baptist, is now being replaced by the voice of the Son of God. He is in transition here from being the one who's the main guy on the stage of history, the main guy who who had been preaching, who had the crowds coming to him, the one who everyone was talking about, the one who had galvanized the countryside. He was now giving way to the one who he came to prepare the way for. But what we find is he's okay with that. He's not just okay with it. He is happy about it. His significance is really being threatened here in a way, and he's okay with that as well. He says that he is totally embracing the fact that he must decrease while Christ increases. You know, Jesus taught this very idea. And I think that it's hard for us to grab onto it because we live in a culture where we want to make ourselves as big and important as we possibly can. We use social media to do that. We use so many different things to make ourselves great. And yet John the Baptist was willing to decrease. And man, he had a huge ministry. He was the most popular preacher in the land until Jesus showed up. But he was glad to do his job, to play his part that God had given him to play. Listen to Jesus' words about this uh, very same thing. He said this, Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, Jesus commanded the very thing that John the Baptist was willing to live out. In his own teaching, Jesus made demands I think oftentimes we have this idea that Jesus was so nice and kind and just sweet to everyone, and in a way he was, but he was also very, very demanding. One of his demands was this, that we would treasure him above all things. In fact, just a few things that he demands with that statement. Jesus would demand that we trust him more than anyone else. John the Baptist did that. John the Baptist trusted that Jesus was who he said he was, and John the Baptist trusted that the plan was the right plan to hand everything off to Christ. Jesus demands that we trust him more than we trust ourselves, more than we trust anyone else. Jesus also demands that we enjoy him more than we would enjoy anything else, that we find our greatest joy in him. That would mean that we as people who follow him, and I think John the Baptist modeled this, that if we lose everything we have and yet Christ is glorified in our lives, that we would find great joy in that above all things, that we would obey him above all things that we would do what he actually says to do and not begrudgingly, but joyfully. And that's what we see with John the Baptist. He's doing what he was called to do, preparing the way for Christ. But he doesn't say, well, I got to do this because it's my job. I got to do this because this is what the Bible told me to. No, there is a joy in it. He was happy about it. We are to delight in Christ above all things. We are to find our greatest delight in him and knowing him and making him known and who he is. These are the things that Jesus demands of us. And he says, if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to make him the priority of our lives, then we're not worthy of him. And see, John gives us the secret to this because that seems so very demanding. And on one hand, many of us would say, wow, how egotistical of Jesus to demand such things of us. I mean, who would demand that we would love him more than father and mother and children and even ourselves? How self-centered is he? But listen, 
Jesus is the only being in the universe that's completely, completely justified in being self-centered. He is the center. That is why. For anyone else to be self-centered is uh, really a falsehood because the world doesn't revolve around any of us, but it literally does revolve around Jesus. And John got this. Look what John said. John gave us this example in verse 29. He said, look, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And listen to what he says. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He gives this brilliant example. People in Jesus and John's day, just like our day, were very familiar with weddings, the joy of weddings and all the things that go into it. But just like us, traditionally, there would be a, a, a person who's getting married and they would have a best man. And John describes that situation. He says, look, Jesus is the one coming for the bride. He's just the best man. He saw himself as the best man. And, and guess what? I remember when I got married. You know who my best man was at my wedding? When I married my beautiful bride, Nan, my best man at my wedding was my grandfather. My granddad and I were so very close. I lost him several years ago. He's now in heaven. Uh, but I didn't know anyone else who should be standing right next to me when I got married than my grandfather. And it was an incredible day. It was a beautiful day. And you can see from the pictures from my wedding, you can see his joy, smiling ear to ear. I remember him standing backstage and wrapping his arms around me as myself and my grandfather and my pastor at the time all prayed together before I went out there and committed my life uh, to my bride. There was great joy. My grandfather wasn't jealous of the fact that he wasn't getting married that day. He was totally fine that I was wearing the, the most important tuxedo out there. He was really cool with the fact that the celebration was for me and my wife, Nan. He was okay with the fact that the cake wasn't for him and the champagne wasn't for him and the music wasn't for him. It was for us. It was our day. And he was glad and rejoiced to be a part of that. And John the Baptist shows us what joyful obedience and love and commitment to Jesus is. He says, I'm just the best man. He is the bridegroom. Now, if we can begin to get that attitude, we'll begin to see something that John the Baptist taught us towards the end of his life. As he began to fade and Jesus began to increase, and he gladly did that, it's a reminder that this is what the Christian life is supposed to look like for us. Joy, not begrudging obedience and compliance, but joyful obedience and joyful uh, understanding of what God wants us to do. So I've got a question for you today. Do you enjoy obeying Christ? Or are you begrudgingly doing what he says to do? Checking the, the to-do list that religion has given you off of the paper. Or do you love Jesus? And are you glad to play the part he's given you to play? See, the problem is we are totally, most of us, okay with saying Jesus must increase. That's something that I think we're all okay with. I think we're fine going, yeah, let's exalt Jesus, let's worship Jesus. Where it gets hard for you and I is when we must decrease. What does it look like for us to decrease? Let's take a look at that right now. So what does it mean for us to decrease? The Bible says Jesus must increase, uh, but the problem you and I often have is in our decreasing, right? What does it mean? Well, it means that we're going to have to give up some things. For us to love Jesus more than anything like he just commanded and demanded of us, for us to follow the model of John the Baptist where he gladly and joyfully says, I'm okay with taking the exit off of the stage and letting Jesus have center stage. What does that mean for our lives? Well, it means that we're going to have to die to some things. Jesus said we must take up our cross, and taking up a cross was a very 
clear illustration for that audience. We wear crosses around our necks. We put crosses on our walls. We put crosses on our churches and in graveyards, but the graveyard might be the most important place for it to be because it's probably the most distinct connection between the two because crosses meant death, meant horrific death to the people that Jesus was talking to that day. And you need to understand the meaning. What he intended by that is still the same today. Just because we've turned crosses into ornate pieces doesn't mean that his message changed. He was saying that we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to this world. There's a death that we're going to lose our life to follow Christ. But he gives us new life. That's the thing that we have to understand. So what are the things we have to die to? Well, first of all, we have to die to our own preferences. And we all have them, don't we? We all have a preferred way of looking at life, the way we want our lives to go. And, and when we give our lives to Christ, we give that to him as well. We say to him, now you are writing the story of my life. I'm not deciding what the next step is. God, you are. I'm not deciding the way it's all going to go and trying to navigate it. I want you to navigate the way you want my life to go. So we, we die to our preferences. We die to our dreams oftentimes. Our dreams don't just come, go away. They're transformed. Our dreams become his dreams for our lives. The vision for our life becomes the vision he has for our lives. And trust me, his dreams for us, his vision for our lives are better than anything we would have on our own. You need to understand that. But all of us have this preferred dream and vision for our lives that we have to lay at the cross of Christ if he's going to increase and we're going to decrease. Here's another one that often happens. We're going to have to give up on our comfort. You and I are creatures of comfort. That's why I have some really cool L.L. Bean slippers and a nice house robe. And in the mornings when I get up, that's what I want on walking around my house. Why? I like to be comfortable. <laughs> that's why I have a thermostat in my house. I have central heating and central air conditioning. I live in South Alabama. It gets hot and it's getting hotter by the minute right now as we approach summer here. And I'm telling you, I'm really glad I have an air conditioner. Why? Because I like comfort and I know that you do too. It's why I love bluebell ice cream. Why? It makes me feel good because it's comfort food, right? We love to be comfortable. And yet often the Christian life leads us to places that are not comfortable. Jesus will call you, demand of you to do things that are not comfortable. And some of them will be taking you to uncomfortable places, but other things will, will be asking you to do uncomfortable things like forgive when it's hard to forgive, love when it's hard to love, care when it's hard to care, give when it's hard to give. Jesus asked us to die to ourselves so that we can do what he wants us to do. So the secret to being able to lay your life down, John the Baptist teaches us here. He says that his true joy was found in his decreasing. Okay, so watch this now. John the Baptist says that the very things that we all push against, that we fight, that many of us have the hardest time with when it comes to our walk with Christ, us decreasing, us giving up on all those things that we hold so dear. John the Baptist says that's where he found his, his true joy. On the other side of your giving up is you seeing the joy that God has for you. And John said that is what he experienced, which means this. Remember that egotistical seeming statement that Jesus made about us loving him more than anything? Now, through the eyes of John the Baptist, when John the Baptist says that's the secret to true joy, then now what you see is Jesus' statement was not uh, egotistical. It was loving. The most loving thing in the world Jesus could do would be demand 
that you and I lay our lives down to follow Him. Why? Because He knows that in the laying of our lives down, we can finally have the joy that He has for us. He understands that when we're holding our own dreams and our own hopes and our own comforts in our hands so tightly that we cannot be filled with His joy, so we must lay one down. We must put one on the cross. So the most loving thing Jesus could ever do for you and I is demand that we lay our lives down. Why? Because He loves you so much, He wants you to experience the full joy of Christ. And John says, that is found in decreasing. The more you fade, the more your joy will explode. The more you trust Jesus, the more you're experiencing of the life and the joy the brilliance of Christ and the life He has for you, the more that'll be a reality for you and I. He must increase. We must be willing to joyfully decrease in our lives. So we see that John was willing to decrease as Christ increased. And his decreasing, that part of his life, him laying his life down, would lead to him eventually uh, experiencing suffering on this side of the grave. And that is true for all of us in some sense. Maybe not as extreme as John the Baptist is going to experience, but all of us, if we follow Christ, Jesus warns, if the world hated him, they're going to, in a way, hate us. And that is a reality. This life on this side of the grave in this fallen world is loaded with suffering. And yes, Christians suffer. It's a part of our life. Beautifully, God uses it in our lives, but it is a reality. So now let's take a look at how John suffered and what he experienced when he suffered. John the Baptist was preaching. And as he preached across the countryside, he was notoriously courageous uh, in his preaching. At the time, there were these leaders that the Romans had left in place. Uh, one of them was Herod. And Herod was kind of a puppet king, if you will. He didn't have a lot of real power, uh, but he was propped up by the Romans, and he made sure that things kind of ran the way the Romans wanted them to. He worked in tandem with the theocracy at the time, the religious leaders. It was a very complex and interesting system. But Herod uh, was not a good man. And Herod ended up, if you want a soap opera, we'll call this the soap opera of the Gospels. There was a soap opera going on. It was like All My Children or General Hospital or something like that. Beverly Hills, 90, we'll call it Jerusalem 90210, all right? And what was going on is Herod, the king, decided that he would marry this woman Herodias. The problem is Herodias was his brother's wife, okay? Yeah, pretty bad. And he didn't care that, that this was a problem. And also, most importantly, it was a breaking of Hebrew law. It was a breaking of Old Testament law. John the Baptist was incensed that Herod would, would pretend to lead the people of God, Israel, while walking in such grotesque sin. So what did he do? Well, he preached against it. He called Herod out on this. Now, you have to understand just how much bravery it took. Herod could take his life, but John the Baptist kept preaching. And here we see another thing about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was willing to stand for truth. And the question is, are we willing to? As our culture increasingly demands that we acquiesce to the desires and to the cultural norms, or are we going to stand on the Word of God? And John the Baptist didn't stand on his own traditions or his opinions. You'll never see John the Baptist tell everyone else that they need to eat locusts. You'll never see him tell anyone else that they need to dress like him. Go get a leather robe and a belt. Uh, live out in the woods with me. He never does any of that. But he demands only what is biblical of the people around him. He demands repentance. He demands people follow God. And he demands of Herod that he stop 
his unbiblical marriage and repent and turn to God. That was courageous. John the Baptist decided that he would do God's work and not chase his own safety and his own comfort, and he was faithful. And for that, he was rewarded with, well, what do you think he was rewarded with? Because modern American prosperity gospel preaching would say that John the Baptist, sacrificing so much, having a diet that he gave to God, having a clothing wardrobe that he gave to God, living in the woods, all the sacrifice should have led to prosperity for him, right? Riches, good health, everything going his way, open doors. But no, John the Baptist finally was arrested. Now Herod himself was terrified of John the Baptist and also intrigued by his incredible ability to communicate. Uh, but Herodias was angry and she hated John the Baptist and she eventually talked Herod into arresting him. So he did. He arrested him, put him in a horrible dungeon of a prison where John the Baptist just sat waiting to see what was going to happen. And it was there in that prison that we now get to see the humanity of John the Baptist. Because I think the temptation would be as we, as we study his life to think that he didn't have the weaknesses we have, that he didn't struggle with the things we struggle with. But today, today in this final installment, I want you to see that John the Baptist, the greatest of all prophets, with great clarity of the identity of Christ, one of the greatest preachers ever, that he himself had down and dark and weak moments. And the Bible is kind enough to you and I to record those moments for us so that we can see uh, that this is a part of walking with God. Doubt, confusion, dark moments. John the Baptist had them. Let's take a look at that right now. Let's go to Matthew 11, 2 through 3 right now. Listen to these words. John is now in prison. Herod has thrown him in prison. And it says this, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, and this is stunning, this coming from John himself. He says, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John the Baptist. He gets put in prison, and he begins to wonder. Did he make a mistake? Is Jesus the one? Now, most theologians would say that John the Baptist never lost his faith, but he did have moments where he needed his faith strengthened. Let me say this again. John the Baptist didn't lose his faith, but he had a moment where he needed to have his faith reinforced and strengthened. And I'm so glad this is in the Bible because I bet every one of you joining me right now can relate to John the Baptist. In fact, right now might be the most relatable moment you've had with this hero of the Bible. Because we've seen him preach and we think, man, we can't preach like that. And we see his courage against Herod, knowing Herod will probably kill him for preaching against his terrible, unbiblical marriage. And yet John the Baptist keeps preaching. I think all of us probably go, I don't know if I would have that kind of courage. But now we can relate to him, can't we? Because every one of us, you and I, wherever you are right now, you've had those moments where even though maybe you've believed upon Jesus as your Savior, life has put you in a situation where you began to ask the big questions. It got dark for you where once there was light. You had clarity before the situation and then suddenly you became confused. Some of you right now are going through an illness and you wonder, where is God? And does He still love me? And does He still care for me? Some of you have lost a loved one, a child, or a marriage has fallen apart and you wonder, where is God? And where did I miss it? I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do and it's turning out like this. 
Because see, often when life script changes and it doesn't go the way we thought it would go, we begin to ask questions. And then inevitably what happens next is we feel great shame for that. We're caught in this uh, vicious cycle where we question and we doubt and then we have shame over that very question and doubt. And we all kind of sit back and wonder if Jesus is disappointed in us. If our weakness has made him turn his head to not look upon it. We wonder how will Jesus treat us since we claim that we believed in him and now we have these doubts and confusion. Why can't we be stronger? Why can't we just push through? And what I want you to see today is John the Baptist had those moments. He had those moments, and, and the Bible lets us see him cry out. And I want you to see the first thing John the Baptist did. We don't know if John the Baptist was depressed, but I think it could be a possibility, certainly. And I think we would all understand. And many of you here today joining us, you deal with depression, or you deal with mental illness, or you deal with things that, uh, that impact you. You deal with panic attacks. You deal with anxieties. The Bible tells us that these things are realities. And what I want you to understand today is that John the Baptist was facing a dark moment. And when he did, he cried out to Jesus. He's in a prison, but he figures out a way to get to Christ. He knows that he can go to Jesus, even in his confusion, even in his doubt. He doesn't send word to Jesus to let him know, hey, I'm being strong in prison. I got no questions. They can take my, my life. They can't take my faith, all these things. Nope. He's willing to be honest with Jesus and say, do I, need to, do I need to look somewhere else or did I get this right? Are you the Messiah or did I, did I miss something here? Because understand, John the Baptist, just like you and I, he had a script that he thought things would go by. Jesus is not turning out to be the Messiah that he was thinking that he would be. Remember, John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. Jesus himself said that we on this side of the cross would understand things better than John the Baptist did, even though he was the greatest. So then what did John the Baptist, as a good Old Testament prophet, believe the Messiah, Jesus, would do? Well, he was just waiting for him to take over. He was waiting for a military Davidic King David type takeover where everything would be restored, and that's not what was happening. The Pharisees and Sadducees who had attacked John were attacking Jesus. And, and John did not understand that Jesus was going to die and give his life. He didn't understand those things, so he asked. He says, Jesus, it's not going the way I thought it would. I'm in prison. They may execute me. Things don't seem to be going so well for you. What did I miss here? And what I would say to you today is in the middle of your depression, in the middle of your mental struggle, in the middle of those things, I want you to stop feeling the shame and start reaching for Jesus. Let me say that again. Stop walking in shame and start reaching out to Jesus. John reached out to Jesus and he was willing to do that. And I'm thankful today that we have a Savior who we can reach out to. The Bible tells us to go to him. The Bible tells us to trust him and go to him when we are weak and that he will be there to make us strong. Listen to what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Watch this. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Why would we go to Him? Because we know He cares for us. And John knew that, and he was able to cast his anxieties on Him. Now, right now, I want you to hear from a friend of mine, a Three Circle Church staff member. She's going to tell you a little bit about her experience. She's fought many of these same battles, and she's found Jesus to be a good and kind Savior and King. And she wants you to fight your battles too and not walk in shame, but walk in the light and reach out to Jesus. I want you to hear from my good friend, Brittany Hogan, right now. 
Hey everyone, my name is Brittany Hogan. I'm on staff here at the Fairhope campus. Uh, married to my husband for 11 years now. We have a little boy that's five years old and we're very involved with ministry here at Three Circle. Um, a little bit about myself and my personality is uh, I'm an Enneagram Three, if you're into that kind of thing. So I'm an achiever. I like to be successful and, and uh, be very competitive. And so that'll make sense a little later, uh, hopefully. But um, today as we see John the Baptist and we see what he's going through in prison, he is in a dark place, both literally and figuratively. He is in a dark place in his mind. And this really leads us to uh, look at mental illness. He may not have been clinically depressed, but he was obviously really struggling with something in his mind. And so for me, I'll share my story. Um, I have dealt with forms of mental health issues from anxiety to depression, OCD, uh, most of my life. And it has been very hard, but I have come to a place where um, I have been somewhat healed. It will be a part of me most of my life, probably. Uh, but through the help of doctors, like psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, and then through the help of medicine, I have been able to uh, get to a place where I'm highly functional and have a really good sense of well-being. Uh, I'm able to do the things that God's called me to do, be the best wife, be the best mom to my son. And uh, that's been through the help of things like medicine. Um, medication and unfortunately so much shame comes with that. So much shame comes with taking medication but if you were to have an issue with your heart then I would hope you would take medicine for that to heal it until you wouldn't have a heart attack. And so the thing is with mental um, health uh, issues is your mind is broken. I've had doctors explain it to me before in a way that made sense that there, I, there's a chemical imbalance there. Uh, there are certain neurotransmitters that aren't working right. And so the medicine has literally fixed that. And so please do not hear the lies of Satan and those around you that there is something wrong with you, that you're not a good enough Christian if you're having these issues because it's just not true. When John the Baptist reached out to Jesus, uh, Jesus did not shame him. He did not say, you're not praying enough or you're not reading your Bible enough. No, he lovingly showed him who he was. And so he also took action. Right? He didn't just wallow away in his misery in jail and, and never uh, talk to, to Jesus about his doubts. He took action and said, I, I need you. And uh, that's something that I encourage you to do today. If you're in that darkness, step out of it today. And maybe it's a step towards uh, talking to a friend or trusted mentor, someone that can speak truth into you and uh, they can help you. They can give you um, some tips and say, hey, yeah, you need to find a doctor maybe. And maybe it is finding a counselor. And I'll tell you right now, it's hard to find a counselor, a good one at that, but it's worth being diligent and, and really uh, fighting for uh, your mental health. So please take action. Know that Three Circle is here behind you. We're your family. We wanna walk alongside you on this journey. So I think if you're like me, when you reach out to Jesus in your darkest moments, and I've certainly had them, and, and just like our friend Brittany just described, she's had them. And she, and I have as well, we have found Jesus to be faithful. Well, what did John the Baptist find out? Like if you're wondering, how does Jesus treat people who are weak? when we have those weak moments, when we've been so strong, but then we're so weak. How does he treat us? Well, how did he treat John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist sends his own followers to ask Jesus if he's the one. And you would think, well, is Jesus going to scold him? Is Jesus going to be angry with him? Is Jesus going to harshly correct him and tell him to get it together, John? No, this is what we get in Matthew 11, 4 through 6. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. Now, I want you to notice something here. Jesus doesn't tell them what's been happening. He invites them to observe. This verse is telling us that these disciples of John, 
they literally watched Jesus that day healing and preaching. And they saw this, verse 5, the blind received their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What do we see here? We don't see one time Jesus scold John. Uh, We don't see Jesus correct him. We don't see Jesus get on him. What we see is Jesus answers him. Jesus answers John with what he needs to hear right where he is. Isn't that beautiful? And he answers him with truth. He doesn't make anything up. He says, tell them what you tell John what you see. And that is how Jesus will come through for you. Jesus will hear us in our darkest moments. He will not push us away. He's not disappointed and let down by our weakness. He knew that you were weak when he saved you. He knew I was weak when he saved me. And he knew John the Baptist would have a weak moment when he ordained that he would be the one to prepare the way. He knew. So when you find yourself in a prison like John the Baptist did, and your prison may be your own mental illness or your own depression or your own anxieties, or maybe it's your own uh, addictions that you're dealing with or your own failures. Some of you live in a prison from your past. You can reach out to Jesus. You can reach out to Him and you will find a loving and kind Savior on the other side of that prayer. The Bible tells us that we don't have a high priest who's far off from us who doesn't understand what we're going through. We have a high priest who's dealt with everything we deal with. That's our Jesus. John the Baptist reached out to Jesus and he got an answer. And it was the answer he needed. He needed to have his faith strengthened. He needed to have his faith renewed. He needed Jesus to help him. And Jesus did. Jesus sent him good news. And he lifted John up in that prison. And it's exactly what John needed in that moment. So I would say to you today, reach out to Jesus because Jesus will meet you right where you are in whatever prison you find yourself in. Maybe it's even a prison you built yourself and you put yourself in. Jesus will come to you there and he'll help you through whatever you are going through. Reach out to Jesus and watch him help you. So what did Jesus really think about John? You know how people will say something uh, in private that's a little different than they say in front of a lot of people? So he's kind and he shows John's disciples what they need to see and he says, go tell them, tell him what you saw. So they leave. And when he leave, when, when those followers of John leaves, Jesus then turns to his own disciples. Now then he could have looked at them and said, can you believe how weak John is? Can you believe he, he goes to prison and he's losing it? Can you believe he questioned me? But that's not what what Jesus says. Listen to what he says. Jesus turns around and he says to his disciples, right after John shows his weakness, right after John has to reach out to him for help, if you wonder, how is Jesus going to think about you when you're weak? Well, he says this about John, Matthew 11, 11. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one greater. How about that? Jesus, in John's weakest moment, says, there's never been anybody better than John. How about that? See, your weakness and your doubts and your confusion and your hard moments, they don't knock you down a notch with Jesus. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And one of the greatest things you can do to allow Him to be strong in your life is to be honest about your weakness, to reach out to Christ. Because the Bible says, in our weakness... Christ's strength is made perfect. So how did it all end for John? The thing I want you to understand today is that on this side of the grave, I'm going to tell you the truth, it may not end well. Following Christ 
is, is the greatest thing in, in life. It's what we were created for. And great joy awaits us, even on this side of the grave, but also sorrow and hardship. And often it just doesn't end well. It didn't end well on this side of the grave for hardly any of the disciples of Christ. And certainly it did not for John the Baptist. So John the Baptist went to prison. And one night there was a big party, big birthday party, in fact, at the palace. And Herod and Herodias are there. And a daughter comes into the arena and dances for the crowd. We don't know what this dance was like, but certainly the Bible alludes to the fact that it would have been uh, not a godly thing. And she dances and she so pleases the crowd with her dancing that Herod is caught up, as he was known to, in emotion. And he tells her, I'll give you anything you want. And he literally gives it a kingly authority. He basically commits to giving her whatever she wants. So the girl goes to her mother, Herodias, and says, what should I ask? And she says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl comes out and surprises Herod by asking for the head of John the Baptist to be brought to her on a platter. Look what it says in Mark 6, 25 to 29. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. Immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came, they took his body, and they laid it in a tomb. And that's how it ended for John the Baptist. This hero, the preacher that prepared the way for Jesus, he's now done. It's over. And John the Baptist fades into history. You know that's how it's going to be for all of us. But John said he was happy to. He was joyful in the fact that he got to play his little part. And you and I have a little part to play as well. It's not very long. Life is fast. What do we have? 50, 60, 70 years, maybe 80. We eat right. But you know what? Our lives can count for the glory of God if we're willing to decrease and let Christ increase. And I don't know what it's going to look like for you and I. Probably none of us are going to get thrown in prison and beheaded. But maybe. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Jesus Christ is worth whatever we give up for Him in this life. He's worth it. And the joy we get in Christ is greater than anything we will ever give up. Listen, temporary trials are inferior to our eternal rewards. And John the Baptist lived that way, and he models it for us. But there's no guarantee that if you follow Jesus, it all goes well for you. Often it doesn't. Christians hurt, they suffer, they lose people. Christians go through great pain, sometimes persecution. But here's what we have. We have the assurance that life on the other side of this grave, this life, is going to be unbelievably worth anything we sacrificed here. So the question today is, are you willing to live a life where Jesus continues to increase and you decrease? To the point like John the Baptist, where even in your darkest moments, you cry out to Jesus, He sustains you, and you're willing to walk whatever road He has for you to walk. Even if it ends poorly, if it ends badly, you can say with John the Baptist, it was worth it. My hope is today you'll give your life to Christ my hope is today you'll live like this. Joyful obedience to Christ. Joyful decreasing. That doesn't even sound like it goes together, does it? 
but joyful decreasing as Christ gloriously increases. That's what life with Christ looks like, and that's what John the Baptist taught us. That's what he modeled for us, even to his death. Thank you for joining us for the John the Baptist series.